Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Cincy 360, about Cincinnati from Cincinnati on ESPN 1530. Here's James Rapine and Mo That's Becker. lying. It's just James Rapine with you today. This is Cincy 360. We do it every single day, noon to one on your lunch hour. I'm excited because it's Friday. We got a huge weekend of college hoops from Xavier to UC that we'll get to at 12:45. I want to dive into this AJ McCarron situation from every angle, from reading your tweets to getting perspective from ESPN's Catherine Terrell and more. We'll do that at 12:20. But first, I got to start with the Bearcats because, look, I'm not going to let a Bearcat, uh, a backup quarterback, dictate what we what we start with here. We're going to start with the Bearcats who lost for the first time. And since December, they had won 16 straight going up against uh, Houston yesterday. It was a tough, hard-fought game. It was a grinded-out type of game. It was a game where the Bearcats went up early, and I knew, and I think the rest of the fans watching, Bearcats fans watching, knew that the Cougars were going to come back, and they did. And it went down to the wire. At one point, UC was up 50-49, to unable to hold on. They lose 67-62. A lot to discuss here. A lot to discuss. And there's the, the good is that the Bearcats were still in it at the end, close to the end, despite only having one field goal made in the last 12 minutes of the game. They went 11 minutes and 56 seconds without a made field goal. And that's my concern. And it isn't the points because they were still getting to the free throw line. But if you watch the game yesterday, outside of the first eight minutes, the offense was stagnant. It was going through the mud. Dribble the ball up the court. Maybe run a pick and roll. There was no one that could just go get a bucket. Even Jacob Evans, who he played the entire game, had 16 points. Didn't really start attacking till the game was pretty much in Houston's hands when Houston was up 57-50. I look at that game yesterday, and the Bearcats, I thought they were okay defensively, not as good as they, they've been in the past, not as good as they'll be maybe this Sunday against Wichita State, but they were solid. They couldn't get a bucket. In my initial reaction, and I'm still wondering where Kane Broom was, he only got six minutes. I've heard about how Kane Broom can be this spark off the bench, can be a scorer. I've seen that. I don't think he really had the opportunity to do that yesterday. Mick Cronin talked to Dan Hoare, Terry Nelson after the game. And there's a lot. I want to start with this because there's a lot I want to react to. This is about two minutes long, and I might interject at some point, but this is Mick Cronin, and I kind of want to react to some of the points he makes. Here's Mick Cronin after the game. At the end of the day, uh... We shot 31% in the second half, 14% from the three-point line. You're not going to win. Um, you know, it's uh, – I'm trying not to get in trouble with the conference office. So, yeah. you know, I told our guys, look, guys, here's what I said. I knew what was coming tonight. 
I saw what happened to another team in here that's ranked in our league. And, uh, you know, I was concerned that uh, the strategy of uh, uh, was just going to be you got a, you're playing a team that averages over 20-something fouls a game. Uh, the refs, there's going to be so much aggression. There's going to be so many, so much fouling that the only way we're going to win, we're going to have to fight our way out of here. This is not going to be a normal game. This is going to be a backyard brawl. If you've ever in your life been in a situation where – you can't talk your way out of it. There's no diplomatic way out of a situation. You're literally going to have to fight your way out of here. I told them that even after the first TV timeout. They said, all right, let's go. Let's put them away. You're not putting them away. You're going to have to fight your way out of here. When you get a rebound, it's not over because they're going to try to they're going to rip your head off and try to take it from you. And if you think the ref's going to bail you out, we're going to lose. And... Uh, in my opinion, that's just that's what happened. Now, we had some egregious defensive breakdowns that were mind-boggling as the game went on as far as sinking off of a couple of wing shooters. And once again, you play a team that has two great shooters and you let them go six for nine from three. You let them shoot 66% from three. So that is wildly disappointing. Uh, other than that, I thought our defense was pretty good. Uh, it's hard to run offense when the guy tries to post up and he's being mugged. It's hard to run anything for Jacob, Gary, Kyle, whoever you know, whomever you're trying to run it for, and they're just mugging anybody. So you got to try to get fouled as much as possible, as much as possible. Um, so, but I, I thought our second half defense. If you were to say, "Hey, coach, give me one thing though that cost you to lose the game," second half defense was pitiful. Really pitiful, and for no reason, just for absolutely no reason. That's Mick Cronin after the game. Bearcats fall to twenty-three and three. He was on with Dan Hoare, Terry Nelson, News Radio seven hundred WLW. I get it, right? Mick Cronin's a defensive coach. I do think that Houston out hustled the Bearcats at times yesterday, especially the final thirty minutes or so of the game. And there's no doubt that Mick Cronin sees 43 points given up in the second half. And there's a, there's a defensive element to it that the breakdowns and, and whatnot, but how did you not look at yesterday? If you watch that game and think about the offense, think about the offense, 12 minutes without a made field goal. I get it. They're physical. They're hitting you. You're not going to be in many games when that happens. A 12 minute stretch. So while UC fans, I wouldn't panic, and I'm not panicking, and I look at this and I think, well, all right, if they lose on the road to Houston, but they go and beat Wichita State on Sunday, things will be okay. Things are going to be all right. They still can win the American Athletic Conference. Heck, they might win out. Mo said it yesterday uh, off air, and I could tell you now. He says, yeah, I think they'll probably lose tonight, but I think they'll win the rest of the way. Now, he could be wrong. But that was a tough environment. I have a lot of criticism. A lot of the fan base does. A lot of different things. They lost by five points. They lost by five points. They were awful from the field. 32% in the second half. They missed 12 straight three-pointers at one point. (laughs) They missed critical. Gary Clark goes to the free throw line, misses two free throws. Jacob Evans gives them the lead, 50-49, to with like four minutes to go. And then he misses the second free throw that would have put him up to. 
the defensive breakdowns Mick were talk, was talking about, that Houston hit ba- hits back-to-back threes, they go up five. And that kind of dictated the game in a game that was that, that type of pace. But it didn't feel like they could get that bucket. It didn't feel like the Bearcats were going to be able to, to score down the stretch. Even when they were up 50-49, to 49, did anyone think they were going to win that game? Because I thought Houston was going to find a way to get that open jumper. And that's what I look at. I think if you look at this game and take it for what it was, it was just a loss on the road against a Houston team that was really good, That at least a, I'm not going to say really good, a very a good Houston team, a NCAA tournament-bound Houston team who's lost only five times all season, and they're better at home than they are on the road. That, there's no denying that. They're much better at home. The shooting percentages, we had Chad Brendel on yesterday. Everything for Houston, they beat Wichita State by 15 at home this year. Houston's different at home. Now, the, the stuff with the officiating, if you know that going in and you know it's going to be physical, you just got to be physical back. I can't use that as the, oh, yeah, we knew. We knew it was going to be a d- – all right, then. Then you got to score. You also knew you probably had to score more than one made field goal in the final 12 minutes of the game final 13 minutes of the ball game. That's the bottom line. I tweeted it out yesterday at James Erpine. I was like, I can't believe they're still in it. And yes, they were getting to the foul line and making some of their free throws, but still in it, despite not having a made field goal for eight minutes, nine minutes, 10 minutes, 11 minutes. And they were still mathematically alive, mathematically down, you know, five it was a one possession game at for most of that. So to me, I, I look at it and it's concerning. It's concerning because I know the Bearcats are going to play defense. Yes, did they have breakdowns yesterday? Sure. But the offense is the reason, in my mind. you got to be able to find a way, even when a team's physical, even when the refs aren't calling it, whether it's throw it down to Gary, make a three, whether it's Cumberland or Evans or someone like that. Jacob Evans played the entire game. Guy didn't sit. So it's three of nine from the field. No one shot well from the field. Evans, 3 of 9. Cumberland, 3 of 9. Clark, 4 of 10. Kyle Washington was the closest to 50% at 4 of 9. Well, Jennifer's 2 of 4. Kane Broom, supposed to be the spark plug off the bench. Six minutes played, zero points. Uh, Justin Jennifer got 27 minutes. That's the thing. That's what I look at. Maybe that's the difference. You got to find a way to, in that situation, someone needs to step up. And be that offensive spark. Maybe it could have been Kane Broom. We'll never know. Bearcats fall 67-62 to Houston. They play Wichita State this weekend. We'll preview it later in the show here on Cincy 360. I'm James Rapine. Let's get one more from Mick Cronin. And the one field goal made in the final 12 minutes is going to be talked about a ton. Here's Mick on what happened. So if you look at Houston's stat sheet, Terry, they have... Their opponents in 12 games have 50 less field goals than them in the conference. Hmm. That tells you how much they either foul because their their opponents have 50 more free throws than them. So it, it tells you what kind of game it's going to be. You know, it's going to, you know, you get the ball down there and you think you're just going to go up with three guys. You're going to get bumped, stripped. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch-ch-ch-chumba. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. You know, and, and I, you know, I thought our passing wasn't as good as it needed to be out of some low post double teams. You know, obviously this was not Gary Clark's best game. He's been a soldier, a warrior in his unbelievable career, but this was far from his best game. And, then, you know, I thought same as Kyle. Them guys being great for us. But uh, the truth of it is, guys, we had seven assists. It's hard to win with seven assists. So there, that proves my point about our passing wasn't very good. That's Mick Cronin with Terry Nelson and Dan Horde after the game on News Radio 700 WLW. And look, it's, it's happened sometimes. It happens. I, and I will say this Houston defensively is better than you realize. This from my guy, Jeff Walner. Um, Houston hasn't allowed more than 65 points in any of their last seven wins. They held Wichita State to 59. So Houston defensively, I think, played a little better uh, than we realized. But at the same time, man, that they didn't get – how many fast breaks did you see yesterday from the Bearcats? Did you see them getting out and running? That's the easiest way. Like, if you're not – Scoring in the half-court offense, get out and run. But to Mick's point, they didn't rebound. They got out-rebounded by eight. They were missing shots. They had some defensive breakdowns. And all of those things, when you're not making shots, (laughs) lead to what we saw yesterday, which is their first defeat in 17 games. Um, Jake says, tough environment playing at Texas Southern. Yeah, but the the point being, I'm not saying that the crowd. Uh, Honestly, the crowd... Most of the times it's irrelevant on whether or not it, it dictates the game. But what I mean by that is Houston certainly much better at home than they are on the road. I mean, look at it. A, a lot of people going into yesterday, Chad Brendel, Moeg, but people close to the program were like, yeah, this is going to be a tough one for UC. This is going to be a tough one to pull out. It's going to be physical. It's going to go down to the wire. And it just didn't go their way. But the good news is, is they can make up for it. With Wichita State this weekend, we'll get into that. We'll preview that coming up. At 1245. But up next, let's switch gears. Let's dive into the Bengals. Because did they botch this entire A.J. McCarron situation? A lot of you feel that way. At some point in the show, we're going to get to some of your tweets at James Erpine. I'll be joined by Catherine Terrell of ESPN.com to discuss it. I'll give you my thoughts as well as Cincy 360 rolls on on a Friday. This is ESPN 1530. Now, Cincy 360 resumes on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati Sports Station. It's 1219. I'm James Erpine. Mo out today. This is Cincy 360. I'm in for him again today at 303. A lot to get to. Andy Benoit, MMQB. He says quarterback is the Bengals' biggest offseason need. He's going to join us today to talk about that. We're also going to hear from Joe Goodberry in the 5 o'clock hour. Moe's going to give his hottest takes of the week at 5.33 and more. So make sure you stay tuned for that coming up three hours from now, starting at 3.03. Less than three hours from now. Um, Let's get into this A.J. McCarron thing. And there's a ton on this on the website, ESPN1530.com slash James. I look at this A.J. McCarron thing, and I've went through a a bunch of different thoughts during it from the, the Bengals fan perspective to the, the Bengals and McCarron's perspective and the NFL's. And here's the one thing I think we'll all be able to agree on. Good for AJ. How many times do we have we seen, whether it was in, I could think back to, I, I mean, w- whether it was my parents or myself or 
are people I know, friends, family, and they have a gripe about their job, and they go to their boss, or they go to the company, and they ask for it to change, and it doesn't change. It doesn't change at all. And so this is a win for, like, the little guy in my mind. Like, A.J. McCarron's that, that hardworking person who said, no, you're treating me unfairly. I shouldn't have been on this non-football injury list as a rookie. I should be a free agent now. I, I served my time. And he won. And now he gets to be a free agent. And now he gets to see if anyone wants to bring him in as a starter or what his value is. So good for A.J. Because how many times is it the other way? Where we say, oh, you know corporate America. They, they make me come in on Christmas. Or they do this. Or it's a mandatory holiday. Or Jimmy Sandy makes a, a good point. Who takes? How many people have taken Mike Brown to court and won? I mean, A.J. McCarron did that. And... We'll get uh, more from Catherine Tarot, ESPN.com, coming up in about five minutes on this. I just think that it's, it's awesome for him. Now, as far as the Bengals, because that's what you care about, A.J. McCarron could be in Cleveland next year. He could be in Minnesota. He could be in Denver. Heck, I went on Denver radio last night, and they're already talking about whether or not A.J. McCarron's a good fit there. He's going to have a market. And that's why the one botched thing here, from a Bengals perspective. And there's one, and we, and I will preface it with this. There's no way we're having this conversation if the trade goes through at the deadline where they get second and third round picks from Cleveland. If Cleveland handles their paperwork, if Cleveland's on board with the trade and they get it done before the deadline, then there is no botch. Then the Bengals played it perfectly. It was that close to being perfect. Instead, now I have a gripe. Now I have a knock on the Bengals. The Bengals clearly valued A.J. McCarron. They put him too high. They valued him too much. They should have lowered it down some. I remember writing at ESPN1530.com a month after the 2015 playoffs how A.J. McCarron, trade interest, shop him. People saw that fourth quarter. NFL owners saw that fourth quarter. Coaches saw what he could do. Shop him. Move him around. See who wants him. And then when the Vikings had a need for a quarterback, when Teddy Bridgewater went down, I said, make the deal. The Vikings are desperate. But the Bengals wanted a first-round pick. The Bengals never made calls, according to multiple reports. People I trust within the organization I've talked to, they never called anyone said, hey, you interested in AJ? I think that was a mistake. Because now what you're looking at is a quarterback who's free. A quarterback who's going to go elsewhere, compete for a starting job, and all you're getting is a compensatory selection. That's it. That, I mean, that's it. So it could be a third-round pick, could be a fourth-round pick, could be a fifth-round pick, which is what you paid for A.J. McCarron, and we all agree that he was a very, very good fifth-round pick. That could have got you more. If the Browns knew how to make a trade or they were on board with the trade because I think it was sabotaged, we don't have that conversation. We don't have that knock on the Bengals. There aren't fans that are mad today. I've had, I have a friend in L.A., lives in Los Angeles, and he texts me like, what the hell are the Bengals doing? It's crazy. The pers- He's a really casual fan, doesn't really know. And I had to explain to him that eh, it's not that big of a, it's not the biggest deal in the world, and they couldn't have prevented it at this point. But that's a lot of the reaction. A lot of fans feel that way, like, same old Bengals. Let a a franchise quarterback leave for nothing. 
That's how they view it. Now, I'm not saying that's the case because I don't think that's the case. The other thing I look at, and I'm going to get in more, into this more when we have more time today from 3 to 6, do the Bengals deserve the benefit of the doubt? Do they? Everyone says, and I believe it too, Andy Dalton's better than A.J. McCarron. Andy Dalton's the guy. Hasn't there been other players that we thought were better until we got to look at them? A.J. McCarron never got that opportunity. Like, last year, at the beginning of the 2016 season, I think the majority of Bengals fans would have said that Jeremy Hill was better than Rex Burkhead. That's fair to say, right? And then he had the year he had, and Rex Burkhead came in the last game and played really well. And now every Bengals fan, including casual fans, know who Rex Burkhead is. And they think, and it's clear, the Bengals got it wrong there, and they should have played Rex Burkhead more. Not the exact same situation, but it it wouldn't have been the first time. Let's say A.J. McCarron goes on and is really, really good, like some people think he's going to be. It wouldn't be the first time the Bengals misevaluated talent, got it wrong, or stuck with the starter because they were familiar with him. I'm James Rapine. Mo out today. This is Cincy 360 on ESPN 1530. Catherine Terrell covers the Bengals for ESPN. You can follow her on Twitter at Cat underscore Terrell. Catherine, thank you so much for your time here on a Friday. I, I want to start. I want to get into your trip, Mardi Gras, because you just got back from Mardi Gras. We'll discuss that in a bit. But I, I got to start. This, is, this seems like a win for the little guy to me. Not many of us go up to head-to-head with our bosses, our companies, and win. A.J. McCarron did that, didn't he? Well, I think it's interesting because just talking to, from someone within the organization, they indicated that the players usually win. And I don't know if that's true. I haven't covered a lot of these. The only one I covered extensively was Jimmy Graham with the Saints, and he didn't win his grievance. Uh, that was when he was uh, saying he should be paid like a wide receiver and, instead of a tight end, and, and he lost that. So I'm not sure, but I do know that the Bengals were anticipating that McCarron would win this, which I found interesting. Catherine, is it fair to say the Bengals placed too high of a premium on A.J. McCarron? Because I look at him and his value, and now they're going to lose him and only get a compensatory selection in return for him. But if they would have sold him, I remember writing about trading him or potentially trading him in the 2016 season, before the 2016 season, after he started for Andy Dalton and filled in and had that playoff game against the Steelers. To me, I look, and that was the time, and they let it get down to the wire and risked it. And obviously, they almost had a second and third round picks for him with Cleveland, unable to get that done, and now they're left with just a measly compensatory selection. Is, it, is that a fair criticism of the Bengals? Well, I think that maybe they should have been more aggressive about putting him on the market. Mm-hmm. I was told that the only real offer came from the Browns, which we all know how that ended. But it also seems like the Bengals never really did anything to try to get something out of this player. It seems they're kind of content to wait for other teams. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They liked McCarran and they wanted to have a good backup. And obviously I get wanting to have a good backup, but if you're 
starting to think that this player could win his grievance, shouldn't you maybe try to explore options and be more aggressive way earlier instead of the final day of the trade deadline? I mean, I don't know. You can only trade a player if someone wants them, but I'll be really interested to see how many people or how many teams are open to looking at McCarran and free agency to kind of see what the market is. And I mean, if one of those teams maybe would have been interested last year if the Bengals had been more aggressive about kind of shopping him around. Catherine Terrell is our guest. Follow her on Twitter at cat underscore Terrell. That's how I look at it as well. I think that the Bengals said, okay, go ahead and call us if you're interested. But if they, and you just said it, if they planned on losing the grievance or thought that the, the odds were that AJ was going to win it, why wouldn't they have said, okay, Browns, instead of a second and a third, we'll, we will take just a second? Because that, that, that's where the reports, and obviously they ended up getting both, and the Browns just don't know how to make a trade. But, <laughs> but, but if you lower the price a little bit, you still would have ended up with more than what you ended up with, which now is going to be a, some kind of compensatory selection next season. Right, and it's so interesting. If the Browns had just done their paperwork, paperwork we wouldn't be talking about this. Yeah. Um, but I, I sense a lot of people are mad at the Bengals, which yes. they did try to trade him. That's not their fault. I mean, if anything, they should have gotten it going sooner, like I said. But that's on the Browns. But the sense I got with the trade that day was that the Browns kept trying to change the price tag, and the Bengals said, no, we like this player, you know, if anything, we're doing you a favor because we're trading him within the division, so you take it or leave it. And the Browns kind of hemmed it hard all day and then finally called back with minutes to go. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there ever was a set price tag. I just kept hearing that no teams really ever made a legitimate offer. So, I mean, I don't know. You could point blame in a lot of ways, but at the end of the day, this player's going to walk off, and the Bengals aren't really going to get anything for him, and it kind of seems like a waste. And to me, because a lot of Bengals fans, and I think why they're mad is because there's a legitimate group of, of fans that think that A.J. McCarron is better than Andy Dalton. Now, I'm not in that group, but at the same time, I, I look at that, and would it be crazy knowing that the Bengals are so loyal to the Jeremy Hills, to their veterans, to their starters, to, to think if you're a fan, yeah, A.J. McCarron's going to go to the Jets or he's going to go to the Broncos or even the Browns, and he's going to have success, and we're going to look back and say, why didn't the Bengals give him an opportunity at the end of the 2017 season when if you start him, they were already out of the playoffs, they could have gotten at least a look at him and they had a better idea of what he was? Well, I mean, sure, you're out of the playoffs and you go to McCarron, but then he leaves and you're, you've made your – franchise court and that's how they view Dalton their franchise quarterback you've made him mad for no reason I mean then you're just in a whole mess that's why I never thought that they should have sat Dalton and played McCarron I mean if if McCarron goes after that then look what you've done you've just made this whole mess of tension for no reason and I know there are people that'll disagree with me about that they'll say you should have seen what you had in McCarron but I think the Bengals felt like they know what they had in McCarron. They saw him play a few years ago. They saw him in practice. So, I mean, I think they probably felt like they knew what they had. And The interesting thing is I think Dalton signed his long-term extension the year McCarron was drafted. So with the way the Bengals, you know, view veterans, as you said, and view money, I don't think there was ever a chance for McCarron to take the job. And, you know, maybe that's the problem, not coming back to the season and saying you should have played McCarron in the last two games. It's the fact that the Bengals, if they invest in a player, 
they're not going to make it an open competition. It was always Dalton's job, no matter what, pretty much. I mean, they're, they're just not really the type of team that's going to yank Dalton from McCarran. And, you know, it's, they are what they are, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot of opinions about that. Catherine Terrell is our guest, ESPN.com. Give her a follow on Twitter, at Cat underscore Terrell. I also, I, I'm reading this from Pro Football Talk, and it sounds like the Bengals aren't going to be penalized or hit with anything, even though they put A.J. McCarron on the non-football injury list back in 2014 without him undergoing a medical examination, at least according to their reports. Do you think that this is a, it paints the Bengals in a bad picture or shows uh, other organizations or maybe the NFL or, or free agents, rather, that maybe the, the Bengals did something wrong here, and even though they're not getting penalized for it by the league, that it's just a bad look? Well, I'll say two things. I'll say, first of all, teams in training camp and in the preseason mess with these lists all the time. If people only realize how many players are going on IR or, or whatnot and that they're not really injured, uh, they would be shocked. Uh, happens all the time, and but this is a different situation. I can't say whether they messed up or not. I think both sides have their viewpoints. I think if I need to see what the actual ruling was, but I'm going to guess it probably comes down to the fact that McCarran participated in minicamp after he sat out OTAs coming out of college. I guess because he participated, maybe they could argue that he was healthy enough to participate and then had a reoccurrence of the injury with the team. So I think that there's both viewpoints, and I don't necessarily think it was the Bengals trying to screw him over or anything like that. Um, but I do think the fact that he was on NFI for so long is also kind of, it's probably the bigger issue. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, no, I mean, I don't, I don't really think there are going to be repercussions, but I'd like to see what the arbitrator said and then kind of see what the decision was based on. Catherine, I went on a a station in in Denver last night and they asked me, well, what is AJ McCarron? And I I kept it straightforward. I said he he would offer you stability at the quarterback position, but there's a reason he was behind Andy Dalton. And that's just how I view him. That's how I viewed him in 2015. Let's take it back to those, to that 2015 run, because I've made references to this, that if we were in any other city and they had a backup quarterback do what A.J. McCarron did in 2015, no one here would know who he was. No one here would think that he was this franchise quarterback or a really, really good player or anything of the magnitude that some people here think. Uh, Back in 2015, when you were still in New Orleans covering the Saints, you obviously knew who A.J. McCarron was, but did you think he was that? Did you you see him at all, and did you think he's, oh, that's that's the next NFL franchise guy. The team needs to go after him. Honestly, no. Is just a guy that was replacing Andy Dalton on a team that was already very good. Um, he was surrounded with a really good cast, and um, you saw that. Dalton was actually playing very well that season. I know I didn't cover the team back then, but I do know that Dalton was playing well, and I, I know that the Karen was serviceable, but I'm not sure even I'm not sure with that sample size that you could say McCarron is automatically better than, than Dalton. Um, I don't know that. I don't know how successful he's going to be. I don't think that it's definitely a home run. I think if he was a home run, a team maybe would have made a, a big offer by now and the Bengals would have taken it. I don't know. I mean, I think that fans here are just frustrated with the status quo and they're frustrated with Dalton 
who didn't play well for a lot of this year, and they're frustrated with seeing passes go, you know, two, two or three yards out of bounds. So <laughs> there's a lot to work on. I don't think it's all Dalton. I think getting a good quarterback coach is going to help. But um, back to your point, no, I don't think anyone in the NFL automatically thought that. Last question for Catherine Taro, ESPN.com. You were just at Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras correct? Yeah, yes, I was. How I was it? How was it? It looked a lot of fun. I was following your tweets. You were partying with Saints. It was crazy, huh? It's incredibly fun. I, I wish that everyone from Cincinnati would come down and check it out to see what it's really like. I'd never ridden on a float before, but I would describe it as just miles and miles of people partying and having a great time and lined up by the thousands and it's so crazy but it's so much fun and everyone should experience it for themselves at least once what do you think was better that and i know you didn't go to this but just by your your estimation that or the the philadelphia eagles championship parade (laughs) wow um the championship parade had to be pretty interesting yes i mean i'll take mardi gras myself but man that would have been fun to have been a fly on the wall that craziness She's Catherine Terrell. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at cat underscore Terrell. Catherine, I appreciate the time. That's Catherine. Good stuff from her. I'll get that on the blog at ESPN1530.com slash James. The interesting thing, and I I wrote it down here, were the Bengals really, and and it was the first question, and she said that the Bengals assumed that McCarron was going to win. Did anyone else assume that? I didn't. Like, the, the people I talked to, no one really had a clear view either way, but I think they leaned towards the Bengals winning because it felt like teams usually win. But that's really interesting. So if you're the Bengals and you thought he was going to be a free agent, and, yeah, you did try to trade him before the deadline, but you were okay with holding on to him. And instead, you knew you were going to lose him anyways – and you kept him around in a season that you knew you were losing. That's, that's interesting because what that tells me is, is the Bengals were okay with losing A.J. McCarron. That's what it tells me. They were okay with losing A.J. McCarron to free agency, letting him go, and they were okay with that business as usual. That's, that's interesting. Up next, I'll get to your tweets. At James Rapine, I asked... What your reaction is to A.J. McCarron winning his grievance against the team. I'm going to read some of those. There's some good. There's some bad. There's some in-between. We'll get to all of them. Plus, let's preview the weekend for Xavier and UC. It's a big weekend in the Tri-State for College Hoops. We'll do that as Cincy 360 rolls on. Mo out. I'm James Rapine. You're listening to ESPN 1530. Cincy 360 continues on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati's sports station. It's 1244. This is how we do it on a Friday. Huh? Is that right, Jimmy Sandy? Jimmy Sandy's in such a good mood today. He's he's our producer here on Cincy 360. Here's why Jimmy's in a good mood. And I'm going to speak for you, Jimmy, because I think that this is it. We haven't even had this discussion, but you're in a really good mood. It can't be because of the new office you're getting. This is why. This is why it is. Because the Browns are this much closer to getting their franchise quarterback, A.J. McCarron. That's what it is. He's a Browns fan. And now that A.J. McCarron is back, can you imagine? Let's flip it. Because the Bengals almost stole second and third round picks for a guy who's now leaving in free agency. 
Let's flip it the other way. Can you imagine what happens now if the Browns retain those two picks and end up with A.J. McCarron anyways? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't know, man. I I think if, if I'm Cleveland, I'm drafting a quarterback. Now, do you sign A.J. McCarron to a big deal? Who knows? But uh, there's no doubt A.J. McCarron, there's going to be a market for his services. Let's get to your some, some of your tweets at James Erpine. I'll read more of them on today's afternoon show from 3 to 6 because I'm filling in for the mighty Mo Egger. Ava says, I'm happy for A.J. Don't think the Bengals will miss him, though, because he never really played. That's a, that's a shot. That's a shot. Who knows, Ava, how good he was. We never saw him. Uh, Waldo says, Mike Brown is the most incompetent owner in the NFL. And McCarron will look worse than Andy, and that debate will finally end. Maybe. Maybe. It it depends. Um, I don't think Mike Brown's the most incompetent owner in the NFL. As Jimmy Sandy notes right now, Jimmy Haslam of the Browns is still owner of a team. Number two, I don't know if McCarron is worse than Andy. I think so. I get why the Bengals never went to McCarron or opened it up to be a competition. I understand their logic. That doesn't mean I necessarily agree with it. Why wouldn't you have played A.J. McCarron the final couple games of the year? And if you listen to Catherine Terrell, she said, yeah, but then if he ends up leaving via free agency and you got Andy, Andy can't bounce back from that? <laughs> I mean, how many, how many of us have been shuffled around or moved around at work? I know it's not the same, but I think Andy would have been fine. Like, ultimately... That's what I'll look at. I don't knock the Bengals for this completely, but one, don't value them. Because if they valued them like they, they say, which is a first-round pick, they wanted a first for him or they wanted premium picks for him, then clearly they think he's good, right? But you think he's good, just not good enough to surpass Andy. Maybe you should have opened it up to see. Let's get to a couple more here. Um, Nick says, well, they lost out on getting something for him, even though uh, that was Cleveland's fault on the trade. Honestly, it kind of showed the value of backup in the NFL. But do they go Driscoll as the backup now? It, maybe. Maybe Jeff Driscoll is the guy. Maybe it's Colin Kaepernick. Maybe it's Johnny Football. Maybe it's a, a draft pick. I hope it's a draft pick. I'm kidding about the Manziel and Kaepernick thing. Good God. Um, I, I've, at least the Manziel one. Kaepernick. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't hate it. But to me, why not draft someone early? Makes more sense now. I'll explain why later today, or I'll at least have more time to, because just 30 seconds on this, you draft someone early, Andy Dalton asks for a contract extension next year, but has a poor 2018, then you have a backup plan. Your backup plan as of now is walking out the door and going elsewhere. Odds are, Andy, I think it's 50-50 whether or not he plays a lot better this year. How does the offensive line do? Do they give him a legitimate number two wide receiver? What do they do with Tyler Eifert? Does he have a competent offensive coordinator in Bill Lazor? I don't know. So I could see Andy having a year like he did last year, which is, wasn't good. The whole offense wasn't good, but neither was he. So it'll be interesting to see. Let's get to a couple more here. John says he isn't better than Dalton. 2015 proved that. He will get paid more money than Dalton, so why try to keep him over Andy and his bargain contract? I hate that the team didn't get anything for him, but are we surprised that got botched? 
No? No, we're not surprised. It was the Browns. Mark says the Browns' incompetence has managed to cost the Bengals two draft picks, and they could really have used. The Browns still might get him to be their QB. Yeah, I mean, it's a win for the Browns. It really is. It's a win for the Browns because can you imagine? I'm the draft guy, right, here at ESPN 1530. If they had another second, which was basically a first, a top 35 pick, and another third-round pick, we could talk about quarterback, we could talk about rebuilding the offensive line and doing it by day two, the end of day two in the draft. <laughs> we would be talking about adding premium talent, baby. And they still can do that, but just not as much. So thank you, Cleveland, for that. Um, a couple more here, and then we'll get into some college hoops and close up shop with that. Michael says, I'm not surprised about this situation. Hope the best for A.J. McCarron. Maybe he'll end up being a solid starter. I just don't see it considering how small a sample size we had to watch. What we were able to see wasn't good or bad. One instance in the playoff game, but everything before that wasn't anything to brag about. Spot on. And I think the numbers back then make it look better than it was. 68% completion percentage. But I will say this. Those were his first five games. Those were his first five games. I remember being excited about Andy Dalton as a rookie. And he went to Denver, and I think they scored 22 points, and they lost. It was something like 22 points back in 2011. And they lost. But I was like, whoa, did you see how Andy and A.J. played? That's where A.J. McCarron was. And, and we never got the answer, never got to see what he could evolve into. To me, and, and I've said this multiple times, I think his ceiling is Andy Dalton. I think he could end up being around as good as Andy Dalton. Could. In the right situation, with the right team, the right coach, the right opportunity. Same thing with Andy. If Andy would have gotten drafted somewhere else, I don't think he'd be the quarterback he is today. The right coach, right quarterback, right organization. He had multiple really good offensive coordinators, all pro wide receiver, and he ended up going into a great situation. I'm James Erpine. This is ESPN 1530. Final few minutes of the show. Wanted to vote to college hoops. We will talk Bearcats, Musketeers today on ESPN 1530 from 3 to 6. Also, Bengals. Uh, a lot of different Bengals. Angles. And be joined by Andy Benoit, MMQB.com. Can't wait to talk to Andy, who's watched the, tape of, uh, watched the tape of McCarron, has watched Andy Dalton, and he says that the Bengals' biggest need this offseason is quarterback. So we'll hear from Andy today at 320 on ESPN 1530. But I wanted to close up shop with a little Bearcats, a little Musketeers. Let's start with Xavier because they play tomorrow. They take on Villanova at the Cintas Center. It's called season. Your season's on the line, Xavier. Can you beat the big brother? That's how I look at it. Look, Villanova, they lost the other night against Providence. You have them on your home court. You have the edge in the Big East. You win, and you're winning the Big East regular season championship. You lose, and Villanova remains your big brother. That's what it, that's what it is. And I look at this team from Trayvon Blewett to J.P. Mercura to, and uh, I keep saying, I always say Ennis Cantor, Karam Cantor, Sean O'Mara, Quentin Gooden, I'm, Najee Marshall the other night. I mean, this team is really, really good. And if they can beat Villanova, I think they can. Will they? I'm not sure. But if they can... 
then we're talking about a Big East regular season championship, and we're talking about a one seed in the NCAA tournament. You win the Big East regular season title, I think you're a one seed. Now let's transition real quick because we just have a couple minutes left to UC. UC fans, if you're just joining us, I led the show with the Bearcats. They lost yesterday 67-62 against Houston. Don't panic. I am cautious. I am worried a little, slightly, about the offense. I was worried about the offense before yesterday. If there was one chink in the Bearcats' armor, if there was one worry, one concern, it was that. The Bearcats take on Wichita State at BB&T Arena Sunday at 4 o'clock. Here's Mick Cronin on the matchup. We'll have that. We better rebound. Wichita State lost in here by 15 and still was plus 10 on the glass. Yes. You know, so our rebounding and our toughness level has to go up because you have to understand, which we didn't uh, impart to our team well enough tonight, that uh, – Teams are going to do, do what they what Houston did tonight from a physical standpoint to have a chance. When, when you're when you have the stats that we have, the margin of victory, uh, the defense that we play, and the teams are going to go to the glass with unbelievable. They're going to block out and go to the glass with unbelievable physicality. Uh, and Wichita State, that's their calling card. So uh, right now, that's a big concern right now with our team is our uh, toughness on the backboard as a group, as a group. That's Mick Cronin after the game with Terry Nelson, Dan Horde, News Radio 700 WLW on Sunday's game against Wichita State. They got out-rebounded yesterday 35-27 in their first loss since December. Rebounding an issue, offense an issue, defensive breakdowns an issue, according to Mick Cronin. We'll discuss this more about the Bearcats, about the Musketeers, plus the Bengals, A.J. McCarron, and more. In two hours, I'm in for Mo at 3.03. Thank you so much for listening to Cincy 360. The, Steve, uh, the Stephen A. Smith Show is next on ESPN 1530. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.